Scott Yenner has become one of First Thing's favorite contributors, and we're happy to have him back on the podcast. He remains on the faculty of Boise State University. Is that correct, Scott? Okay. But is now working with the Claremont Institute on state-level efforts to oppose DEI and other woke policies in education. He's written an investigative report on DEI practices in the state of Alabama, a strong red state. Hmm, let's see what's going on there. That's our topic today. Welcome, Scott. I'm gonna, I'm, we're on a first-name basis by now. Thank you, Mark. I'm happy to be here. Okay, now, first of all, why did you choose Alabama for your study? You're mostly working out of Florida, is that right? Yeah, well, we did a report on Florida and released it in January, and there were some people interested in what was going on in Alabama and Auburn, uh, and they contacted me and asked if we would do a deep dive into those universities on the assumption that if legislators knew what was going on there, they would do something about it. Very red state. Uh, and so we put together an investigation and uh, and revealed our findings uh, about a month ago. Right. We're, we're, we're going to link to that report on uh, on on the website uh, uh, page for the podcast. Generally speaking, not not Alabama, but everywhere. What are why don't you tell us what are the two most important, most signal indicative, far reaching DEI practices on campus, again, generally speaking? I would say the first most important thing is infiltration into the general ed curriculum, where they'll have one or two courses that are required. There'll be ethics courses, or there'll be diversity courses explicitly, but they'll work their way into the general ed. And then two, are there upper administrators dedicated to promoting DEI? When you and I, when I was beginning in academia and when you spent most of your career there, Mark, uh, DEI was kind of bubbling up from the departments. It was taking over the professional standards of disciplines like English, sociology, social work, anthropology, history, one after another. And that's not the experience you have on universities today. That's all happening still. But it's a top-down administrative imposition of DEI practices onto departments, even those departments who don't have them sewn into their professional standards. So looking for central administrators that are dedicated to DEI is another aspect of the DEI takeover that is more easily dealt with politically than the DEI sewn into the professional standards phase, which was earlier. Interesting. Uh, another general question, a political question. When you present in surveys and polls to people, just the American population, the actual content of DEI policies and ideas and theories, when you quote some of the, the founding voices on issues of race, in particular, those voices, those ideas and principles, they don't come off as very popular, again, with the American people, because they're so contrary to so many popular ideas, such as colorblindness, you know, treating everyone as an individual, not as a, a group member. So how is it that DEI, which is, uh, again, makes a lot of, even many liberals, makes them uncomfortable, uh, 
how is it that these have become so powerful at public universities, taxpayer-funded universities, in even solid red states? How, how, how is that sustained? I think there's two things going on there. First, there is a lot of deference given to universities in how they operate so that they're considered kind of sacred, not able to be touched by political institutions. Even though they're funded by the taxpayers of states, they are chartered by the taxpayer of states, and they are granted land and buildings by the taxpayer of states. They're said that this is kind of a deference to experts, um, you know, uh, endeavor so that legislators don't know, don't think they have a legitimate claim on structuring them for the interests of the state. And that is something that has to be overcome. And the second thing is that politicians still consider these values to be like their old understanding of the values. So diversity, well, what is diversity? Everyone and every group should be valued and welcomed on our campus so we can celebrate the rich dimensions of difference. Yeah. And this, this, is, this is what they're told. Like, we, don't you want everyone there on our campus? But what that really means is an identity-based approach to society where there's ever-declining numbers of now disfavored groups like whites and males through quotas or through nudges. And uh, so there's a bait and switch that is really part of the DEI endeavor. Um, and, you know, I kind of feel bad for people who are, you know, over 70 or something, and they think, oh, this old word that I've embraced, uh, diversity, I mean, it has a new meaning. And uh, where, whereas people who are under 30 know what it is. And so the bait and switch is an important part of what they're doing. I try to, like, outline that bait and switch in the early parts of my report. Are Republican governors, perhaps following the example of Governor DeSantis, are those governors becoming a little more aware of what has gone on in their own education offices on these issues? I do believe that both legislators and governors are becoming more aware of what is going on. Um, three states have banned diversity, equity, inclusion offices in their systems. Florida, Which ones? Florida has done it really under gubernatorial leadership of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Tennessee has begun to do it, uh, and I, that was as much a legislative effort as a gubernatorial effort. And Texas has done it, and that was really the lieutenant governor who was also president of the Senate in Texas leading the charge and like, I'm not going to say persuading the legislature to go on without a ton of gubernatorial support from Governor Abbott. So there's various ways in which this is uh, this can be done. I would say Arkansas is, is Arkansas, Arkansas is considering doing that. They're doing a survey of the DEI offices now and other states are, you know, asking for help in identifying what their offices are how extensive the problem is, and then what ways of going about it. But those are the only three that have uh, taken it on so far. I would think that one strong argument with the state legislatures, especially budget finance committees, is, and it's something that you've, you've gone into, just how much cost these DEI personnel and programs are. And it's not very clear that there's very much benefit. 
Yeah, uh, I, I show this in the Alabama and Auburn uh, sections of the report that the chief DEI officers at these universities make over a quarter million dollars. And uh, they have several people underneath them who, you know, make uh, six figures as well. Uh, at each university, I think if you added it up, it would be about 2.5 university, uh, $2.5 million per university, which to be fair is a lot less than Nick Saban makes, you know, but it's, uh, it's nevertheless uh, not small potatoes. And then interestingly enough, at both universities, the percentage of black students over the last 10 years has gone down. And so they're actually not, since they have begun this DEI revolution at each university, uh, the diversity part of their uh, explicit mandate hasn't been achieved. And in fact, they've had regress in that area. And that just goes to show that it's really not about that on some level. It's about the ideological conquest of these institutions and not just um, the explicit you know, results that, that come from it. When they evaluate their efforts, they always give themselves a pat on the back and say, we are doing an amazing job promoting DEI here at Alabama, even though our chief indicators of success are going down. We have done so much programming. We have, done, uh, we have, we have hired so many people. We have uh, sponsored so many speaker series that how could we not be succeeding? Um, one of the things you do in this report is, as you implied a moment ago, the educational aspect in which people begin to understand the difference between what DEI says it does and believes and what it really does and believes. And you have a nice little chart in the report where you take some of these words, and I'm going to go ahead and read them. Here is what DEI advocates say diversity is. Everyone in every group should be valued not from mere tolerance, but embracing and celebrating the rich dimension of difference. Now, what it really means, and, and, and this is, uh, some of this is quotation from, from DEI, an identity-based approach to society and ever-declining numbers from non-disfavored groups like whites and males through political quotas. That's the reality, and you've got the empirical evidence to back it up. Let me, I'll just read the equity one. The equity, what they say it means, overcoming challenges and bias to achieve equal opportunity. Here's what it really means. Equality of outcomes plus reparations. All right. Uh, how, do, how, do you, how do we get the, the corrective message out there on the reality as opposed to the marketing well, I mean, I think a lot of people are working on this. I mean, I was trying to, in the chart that I put forward, make it as clear to people as possible. And when we put one-pagers together at Texas A&M, for instance, um, I did er earlier last, or later last year, I did a report on Texas A&M, and we put together a one-pager and gave it to every legislator in Texas. And the first part of the one-pager was that chart. Yeah. Just trying to educate the elites as to what these things mean. And then if they were interested, we had a link to the full report where I try to explain how my interpretation of what this is, uh, what these concepts really means is the only way to really think about it. And, and then, you know, we just put together like facts about what's going on, to, going on at Texas A&M. Yeah. And I think that kind of stuff is crucial. One pager, Anyone interested in this, 
this is the way these terms are translated into normal speak on the university. And these words, I think, also need to be stigmatized. Like, we should not use the word diversity anymore. We should, because what it means is an identity-based approach to society that means fewer whites, fewer males through quotas and through nudges. Um, we should use a word like pluralism or something. Right. Like, we have to get off the train. Um, when we mean, when, when we, what we mean by equity, we should just use different words. Like, treating people the same regardless of their race. We should just use those terms and don't use equity. I'll say, I mean, I mean, Scott, again, you're not defining equity against what DEI people say. This is how Ibram Kendi defines equity, proportionate outcomes and disproportionate outcomes. For example, uh, low representation of African-Americans in professional spaces is immediately evidence of racism of systemic or or non-systemic racism that's his definition you're not making these up are you yeah we just try to use the policies and the theorists behind the policies to show what these words really mean i mean the worst one in many ways is inclusion i mean inclusion sounds like everybody's welcome but what inclusion really means is the sensibilities of disfavored minorities, supposedly disfavored minorities, will set the tone for the universities. Things that they don't like will be excluded. Things that aren't judged to be in their interests will be excluded. And so that means in the name of inclusion, we'll get like gay only graduation uh, ceremonies because they need to set the tone for themselves. And no free speech on campus, or at least limits on free speech on campus, are part of inclusion. Because if minorities are offended by what is said, they're not setting the tone for the university. So we need to, you know, limit the speech of those who say things that they don't like. Yeah. And so it's it's it, they use the word inclusion and belonging, and like I don't want to be opposed to belonging. Like I like to belong to things. But uh, belonging really means a lot of people have to be excluded. And it's tough to get people to recognize that that's what the word means. A lot of people are duped by it. And and when pressed, uh, you know, like a member of a board of regents will come up to a college president and say, I don't like all these inclusion policies. And the the president will say, you don't think everyone should belong on campus? Right. And then it takes courage and knowledge, knowledge to be able to point your finger back at that president and say, that's not what you mean by that. Right. Well, you know, Scott, you, you mentioned the word quotas a moment ago. How do proponents of these DEI policies at Alabama, Auburn, and elsewhere get around the patent illegality of racial quotas? Well... I mean, I think it's pretty well known that California has led the way in showing different ways of getting around quotas. So quotas for faculty, quotas for students. There are different ways of getting around this. Uh, The thing that's been really well documented is the the way that California and other states have gotten around um, bans on racial quotas by going toward holistic admissions which now at some universities even include putting a video of yourself (laughs) into your file 
so that uh, the admissions committees can see what race you are, although they're, you're supposed to tell them why you want to be admitted to the school in the, in the video. And of course, this is happening at private schools like Harvard and Yale and Stanford as well. Um, so they use holistic admissions to get around uh, bans on racial quotas. This means objective measures like GPAs, SAT scores, LSAT scores, MCAT scores are, are de-emphasized. And accounts of your struggles um, and videos of, uh, of what you have overcome are emphasized. When it comes to faculty, it's more difficult. Uh, and in fact, much more nefarious and hits more directly at the heart of the academic enterprise. Because what they'll do is departments will put forward very vague and general job descriptions that say, like, we just need someone who can do political science and send in your applications in order to fish for minorities of one sort or another. And uh, they'll require uh, diversity, equity, inclusion statements. Uh, in those packages, and therefore they end up changing their curriculum to suit the the minority candidates they want to attract instead of having a set vision of what their education is supposed to be about, right. and then finding candidates that fit into that. And uh, and you know this is more or less successful uh, depending on how many minorities you can find in your particular field. Uh, in psychology and education, you can do this all day because there's lots of minority um, uh, applicants and PhDs in those areas. But it's more difficult to do it in physics and other hard sciences because there are just a lot fewer of these supposedly disfavored minorities in those fields. Yeah. Is the University of Alabama going to rename Buildings and Streets? They have already re, uh, renamed several buildings and streets, uh, and it's not clear that it's consistent with state law. There's actually like big arguments about whether or not state laws apply to the University of Alabama. Um, but a few years ago, the Alabama legislature passed a law um, right after the f summer of Floyd that said no buildings could be remade without the you know express consent of the legislature. University of Alabama established a you know a, a, a task force of some sort on DEI of course and concluded that they were going to rename three of the buildings and then rename the buildings without following that law and uh, so I don't know if there's litigation on this it was difficult to find this stuff out but there definitely is controversy within Alabama as to whether or not that was legal what was the climate survey that Auburn University conducted in, in year 2015, almost eight, you know, eight years ago? Yeah. Um, so Auburn didn't have a lot of DEI on it, and they had done a climate survey in 2008, and they repeated it in 2015. And they basically assumed that there was some sort of big problem, and they were the survey was about whether or not the student body was interested in tackling the issues of diversity. They asked three questions. Do you think the university should do more to promote diversity than it's currently doing? Do you think there are downsides to promoting diversity on campus? These kinds of questions. And since the results were not entirely disfavorable, they concluded that everyone was begging for more and more DEI policies on Auburn, 
And uh, the 17 uh, or so recommendations that were appended to that one-page survey uh, ended up being adopted at the University of Auburn. And this has happened, this happened at Boise State, uh, where I am, uh, when we began our DEI uh, push. University president uh, had a survey done, and it concluded that about 95% of students at Boise State did not think there was a discriminatory environment at Boise State. But 5% did, darn it, Mark. So we need to undertake an entire transformation of the university to make sure those 5% are, um, you know, feel included. And so it often happens on these universities where a survey like this is used as a kind of patina of legitimacy uh, for administrative efforts to promote DEI. They're going to do it no matter what the survey says. Right. I mean, that, that's a, it's, it's all already done. Uh, what are your give us two of your recommendations in the report about how we eradicate this insidious ideology and in practice? I would say um, the first thing that state legislature should be concerned with is doing what Alabama, uh, what Florida and Texas most prominently have done, and that's ban the DEI offices. Um, the functions that they try to accomplish should be uh, made illegal according to state law. Um, and there needs to be reporting on the part of the universities to their boards of regents and then the boards of regents to chancellors of higher ed systems about how these things are being dismantled. Um, so that the top down element of the DEI industry can be cut off. And the second thing that I would recommend is something that you guys have done down there at New College, which is uh, going after ineradicably politicized disciplines. That is, disciplines whose professional standards have DEI sewn into their very nature. Yeah. This can be very easily discovered by looking at their major journals, by looking at their professional organizations and their statement of purpose by looking at the department descriptions of these particular entities on campus. One of, if leftist activism is sewn into the fabric of a discipline, there is no reason for it to be funded by states. And they should be cut off all over the place. I would recommend something like a little commission uh, that determines which disciplines on which universities are inherently politicized in eliminating state funding for those things, or perhaps shunting them all off into one college, a college of grievance studies, for instance, and then seeing how many people want to attend their classes. And if they die, they die. Yeah. Uh, last question, Scott. How uh, responses to the report? Have the schools themselves responded to the report? Have any uh, governor's offices, state legislators made in, in Alabama or actually other states, made contact with you because of this report? Um, well, I was in touch with many of those people before the report was, uh, was released, and they have been using it to try to make it a priority in the Republican caucus to pursue these events or these policies. Um, one of the things that's difficult in Alabama is their congressional map was thrown out uh, by the Supreme Court, and they're also very busy uh, redrawing that map. Um, so that's the number one priority that they have at this point. I'm hoping that this will become a priority of the people within the system. 
I know that members of the state board have read the report and also uh, significant donors uh, to both universities have read the report and even talked to presidents about these things. Are, are the trustees or, or regents uh, appointed by the governor or voted? Yeah, they're appointed by the governor. Okay. And so, yeah, everyone is kind of politically accountable. Um, you know, you know, it, when you compare Alabama and Auburn to Texas, Austin or Texas A&M, I mean, it's kind of like the adolescence of DEI at Alabama and Auburn, where you have the fully mature version at both those Texas universities. Of course, this is more reason to act because it's actually easier to deal with the problem at Alabama and Auburn than it is at Texas or Texas A&M, because you're talking hundreds of people who are dedicated to this and over $10 million and lots of programs that are sewn into departmental operations at this point, whereas that has, uh, at Texas and Texas A&M, where that hasn't happened as much at Auburn and Alabama, so it's easier to eradicate it where it's less of a problem. And uh, so I would really encourage uh, the Alabama politicians to consider the office bans at the very least. Uh, because they can have a really tremendous effect on the culture of these universities. All right, Scott Yenner on DEI in Alabama and elsewhere. There is a report we will link to uh, on the website. Uh, Professor Yenner, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Mark.